Hi, this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast, and this is uh, Dave Vanderveen. This is a Season 2, Episode 15, and I'm going to title this one Lost in Tokyo. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, if you're listening to the Kick Aspirational Podcast, uh, you probably know that it's all about breaking through barriers in life. And this week, I wanted to talk about some of the hardest barriers, um, maybe the ones you can't find, that sort of elude us in the times we simply feel lost. Um, it's, it's funny how that feeling, that sense of malaise, despair, dread, deep sadness, or whatever you might call it, can sneak up on you. And often when you least expect it, and really for no real apparent reason, right? It's just kind of like, just kind of shows up. And I don't know if you have this, but occasionally I have this in my life where it just shows up, you're not expecting it, you're busy, and all of a sudden you're like, man, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if the world melts down? It's funny, you know, how, how it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to about today and, and a recent experience I had, and maybe, maybe it'll be helpful for you. Um, I'd like to point out there is no great reason for me to feel despair. <laughs> I, I've done, you know, we've done well with our business. We're growing like crazy. I actually sold it. I don't even have that much responsibility to worry about anymore. My kids are out of the home. You know, life is good. But that, does, that doesn't matter. And I think that's kind of the point. It's not about what's happening around you. It's about what's happening inside you that ultimately is what you're dealing with, or at least what I'm dealing with. Um, and so when I do feel it and, you know, I can't even show it in public because part of who I am, the brand that I've created, the ambassadorship that I take on requires me to kind of be on for my work. I have to be, be, you know, the, the capital P in the party. Uh, we create experiences all over the world that a lot of times I have to lead. But after a series of trips I've just had, you know, um, I had been traveling and then, uh, my wife and I had been in New York, which where we had a great time with the, our friends, the Papalardos, um, working with their team out there and celebrating some of their success. Uh, we came home and I had, you know, if you heard the last podcast episode, episode 14, you heard um, from our, our Kazakh friends who were, who were with us and we were hosting. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, literally I had to get on a plane and go to Las Vegas for a 60th celebration of, uh, of our, you know, the company that bought us. Um, and their business partners from all over the world, you know, this is with Amway. And it was just one thing after another after another. And when I was in Vegas, it was like late nights and early mornings and on all day. And, you know, a big excess party where multiple of our partners from uh, from Europe and, and Asia were, were DJing. Um, you know, and just constant photos with friends. And, and, you know, by the way, part of the reason I take so many selfies with people is because I want to include people who aren't there and let them know that, hey, here's your hero and I'm there with them and you can be here too. You just need to break through some more barriers in your life and you can come join us on these fantastic trips around the world. And then on the very last day, um, I had agreed to, to host uh, the 40th birthday for a really good friend of mine who deserved a really great birthday party. And we raced exotic cars and, um, you know, went to uh, some amazing meals and went to Old Vegas and, and gambled, you know, on the small tables in really fun ways and then continued all day and all night. And at the end of it, 
um, my body literally shut down. And, and this sort of happens to me from time to time. When I push too hard and don't pay attention, don't listen to myself, just keep going, keep going, because the next thing's, you know, I'm in the moment, and each next thing is, that's lined up is so much fun and so awesome. I have the worst FOMO on earth. I will not shut down. I will keep going. And, and so anyways, there's a point where my body will literally, and it's happened to me multiple times, will literally just say, screw you, I'm, I'm out of here. And I, it's like food poisoning symptoms. Just there is nothing I can put into my body that doesn't get rejected and come out of either end. Um, it's not pretty. So at the end of this, as we were just wrapping up this evening, I literally had to go to my hotel room and more or less, um, you know, was almost, you know, kind of sleeping for about three days. Um, I literally had to drag myself onto a plane to go home from Vegas the next day. I slept for the better part of three days. Um, I did actually get up and do a morning workout <laughs> because we had one of the biggest fitness Fridays we've ever had down at our excess center for optimal fun in Laguna Beach, like the day after I got back. But I was just sleeping um, at every other moment. And then I had to pour myself onto a plane to go to Paris the next day after that, or that after, right after our workout, actually, Friday right after our workout, because my son was graduating, my younger son, Willem, was graduating uh, from the American University of Paris. And so I literally woke up, you know, a few days after Vegas in Paris with my wife, and, and I was feeling better. Um, and then we, you know, walked right into a huge celebration with um, our older son who was there, my, my younger son, his girlfriend, their family, both of my grandparents, or both of my parents, uh, and my, my wife's parents were all there. We had a fabulous time. It was amazing. Um, but I had to kind of watch myself. I had to realize that, you know, um, maybe a little less was going to be a lot more during that time in Paris. And we had a great time. And, and um, you know, one of the best parts of continuing as a brand founder and ambassador in excess, you know, after we've sold this is, is that I have deep friendships, almost family-like with many business partners that we've worked with around the world um, and, and many of us travel a lot. You know, many of us have built global businesses, um, either as distributors or as vendors or, or as staff, you know, with, with Amway and that platform. And so when I was in Paris, Patrick and Joyce, Joe, you may remember Patrick was in season one. Um, I interviewed him when we were in Bali together. Um, anyways, we, we happened to be in Paris together. They reached out. I just seen them in Vegas. In fact, Patrick had been a DJ at our excess party. And they asked if we could get together. So um, kind of post-festivities, my parents had left. Things were winding down in Paris. Uh, Patrick, Joyce, and I had breakfast at the Trocadero Cafe in Paris, which is it's, it's on the roundabout. If you know Paris, it's on the roundabout just behind this, the, this large stone patio and the Trocadero Gardens, which are right across the Seine, the, the river that kind of divides Paris, where the Eiffel Tower is. So it's like this elevated patio that looks right over the Eiffel Tower. So it's a perfect place to, you know, get photos. There's usually a lot of people there taking pictures with the Eiffel Tower. Um, so we had breakfast there at a little cafe and we had a wonderful conversation about some business innovations that Joyce really wants uh, to partner with back on, you know, in, in Thailand. And and I must have looked a little tired. I mean, I, Sarah and our son, my, my wife Sarah and our son Willem and I had been at the Hemingway Bar, one of our favorite places in Paris, to uh, to spend uh, you know the latter part of an evening 
it's in the Ritz. It's just this cool little bar where, you know, um, it's been kind of reinvented as they rebuilt that hotel, but with a lot of Hemingway artifacts. He had lived, he had been a residence in that bar after World War II. Um, anyway, so they, we always meet interesting people there, so we love to go there. I'd probably been out a little late and enjoyed myself a little too much. And uh, they asked how I was doing. Of course, I said I was fine. Um, what Patrick and Joyce reminded me was to take care of myself. See, they've built a very successful global business in a relatively short period of time. And, and at one point, it took a real toll on Patrick that forced him to really almost stop working for a couple years and kind of recover, just kind of build himself back up. It created, I think, some depression and some other issues that he's overcome, but you know, it took a deep toll on him. And um, I must have looked you know, tired and, and um, so they, they, they cared enough and they, they mentioned to me, you know, to, to take care of myself. Um, and I'd like to say too that, you know, one of the great things about some of these businesses that we build is that Patrick could take time off to recover and now rebuild and, and support his business in healthier ways. Um, that balance becomes really important later in life. And, and, you know, it really doesn't matter. I guess the point is it really doesn't matter who you are. None of us are demigods. We're all human. And and I've had, you know, constant travel and the work party adventure experience program that we attempt to deliver from excess in almost 60 countries that has caught up with me from time to time, um, just like when I was in Vegas. And, and, you know, I've had my body simply refuse to go on. It shuts down, rejects everything. And like I said, it's almost like bad food poisoning. And so although we were celebrating with family and with Vegas and in Paris, I was also actually trying to take afternoon naps and get regular sleep just to try and catch up. So I had gone from, you know, New York to, um, to Laguna to hosting our friends to Vegas for night after night of like and day after day of, of great activities and fun events to Paris where we had more of the same and um and then i left paris and woke up again you know in tokyo and um what what happened in tokyo was a little different than what had happened in vegas but i think it comes from the same place um i woke up in tokyo with this deep sense of foreboding um i don't know if you've ever read john irving you know he wrote the world according to garp and um, a Prayer for Owen Meany and the Hotel New Hampshire. Some of those have been made into movies. But in The World According to Garp, he has this thing he talks about called the undertoad um, that Garp and his wife, you know, used to describe a, a deep sense of anxiety that some undefinable amphibian of of the deep is waiting out there to, to pull you in um, a, a, into something deeply unsatisfying and, and end that we can't really understand but we're we're worried about and i think there's almost something you know if you have something really specific you're worried about maybe it's a little easier to deal with than than just this kind of malaise about the undefined future and so i woke up with this this feeling that you know something bad was out there but i didn't know what it was and i couldn't really define it and it just gave me the sense of dread i, I don't know if you've had that um, you know, I kind of think that's like the root of, of many de senses of depression. And maybe some people have it a lot worse than I do. So, you know, I and immediately went to try and fix this bad feeling. <laughs> As if, you know, you can just go fix it, just put a Band-Aid on it, take a medication. Um, 
by working out. So I found a, a podcast, uh, you know, I listened to Rob Bell's podcast called The Robcast quite a bit and Pete Holmes' podcast called, um, they're two friends of mine, Pete's podcast is called You Made It Weird. And, you know, Rob's podcast, um, I found one that was listed there that was uh, as if by magic <laughs> titled Some Days I Feel Lost. And I think the, you know, whether you call it providence or the universe just conspiring, um, when you go out and, and look for help, sometimes you actually find it. Um, so he, Rob had interrupted a two-part podcast on the Book of Ruth he was doing because he'd recently had a question at a speaking event where a guest asked him what he could do when he feels lost. And Rob's response is really interesting. You've got to listen to the podcast. Um, it's called The Robcast again. And this one's titled, uh, Some Days I Feel Lost. But um, Rob's response wasn't to give this guy seven steps to fix it or suggest a medication or how to pray about it. He shared deep empathy with this guy. He said he kind of put his hand on his heart just to slow down and just to be present with this guy and his lostness. And, and, um, and just to, to kind of um, share the space with, the, with him rather than try and put a band-aid on it. It goes a lot deeper than that. And, it, and I think what Rob's trying to share is that everybody feels this and it's okay. And that part of, part of um, you know, moving through it is actually being present in it so that you can be aware of what it is. Uh, after Rob's podcast, I went, uh, I picked up one of Pete's, Pete Holmes' podcast, as You Made It Weird podcast with James Corden. I thought, you know, I'd listen to something that would maybe lighten up a little, lighten me up a little bit, you know, be funny. And, and by the way, it's a great interview with James Corden. Um, but at the beginning of that podcast, he gives away an audio chapter of his new book, uh, Comedy Sex God. That's all about being in the moment, about meditation. The, the, the chapter is titled, Yes, Thank You, um, which is a mantra Pete uses when, he's, when he meditates. And it's all about being in the moment. It's about meditation, immersing yourselves in life, and not just the things we love that give us pleasure, but also the things that bother us, that hurt us, that scare us, like this lostness I was feeling. Pete talked about how, how he hated going to museums, but he went because he thought he was supposed to go, and that when he did go, it was all about looking at art and trying to objectify it, to define it, to understand it, to name it, to break it down, to put it in the box he could talk about later to someone else at another time. As Pete describes it, he wasn't there to be in the moment with the art. He wasn't there to consume the art. Um, or that, you know, basically, when he was there, he wasn't in the moment, trying to be in the moment with the art. He was, he, he was trying to kind of objectify and consume it, not be consumed by it. Um, listen to both these podcasts. I don't want to do a, such a poor job paraphrasing them. They're great podcasts. They're really helpful. And they're a great pair, a great combination plate. When, um, when you're trying to get into deeper peace and get past maybe some of the more negative emotions that, that, uh, that, that pop up from time to time. And, uh, and, and maybe it's a great way to approach those moments that generate fear, foreboding, and angst in our lives. The common theme from Rob, both Rob and Pete is that there is no magic formula to fix the sense of dread. I mean, I wish there was. For me, I have to simply walk straight into it. I have to immerse myself in it. I have to get lost when I sense that I might be getting lost so that I can be kind of just fully consumed by this lostness and embrace the fear at the bottom of that well. 
So what I did that morning after working out is I went walking into these parts of Tokyo, into Roppongi, Motesando, Harajuku, and Shibuya until I really didn't know what I, where I was anymore. I wasn't looking at a map. I was just kind of wandering. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to meditate and a variety of ways you know, that, that you can do it simply. Sometimes it probably makes sense to take a classic sitting pose, the straight spine, totally focused on your breathing, you know, in deeply through your nose, hold it briefly, and then out slowly through your nose or your mouth. There's different methods, and some yogis get a bit overly strict about how they think it works best. I think the biggest key for me isn't to try too hard. Um, there isn't a medal or a trophy for being the best at meditation. Um, you may find your brain bringing up thoughts or ideas, especially if you have kind of an ADD personality like I do. As Pete says, that's okay, except that monkey brain, the brain that's kind of bouncing around like a drunken monkey, jumping from thought to thought. Even better, maybe give it something to do. Perhaps consider a simple mantra. Um, there's no right or wrong mantra. A mantra is just something you're feeding that monkey brain to keep it busy, to keep it occupied. The mantra that works for you is the best one. Pete likes to use a very simple one that's just, yes, thank you. You know, oh look, a beautiful flower. Yes, thank you. Oh look, my, my glasses. Yes, thank you. What time is it? Yes, thank you. Where do I need to be next? Yes, thank you. Do I need to call my mom? Yes, thank you. Whatever it is, just, yes, I see you. Fear, I see you. Yes, I acknowledge you. Thank you. You're here. You're, 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 you're welcome. Maybe I don't need you right now. <laughs> Maybe we would put you in your own little apartment. Um, you know, things like, oh look, I'm feeling the undertoat again. Yes, thank you. That black iris, you know, I was just in Giverny. That black iris has the most dense beauty I've experienced in a flower. Yes, thank you. Immerse yourself in it. Accept it. I shouldn't be looking at that woman who isn't my wife like that. Yes, thank you. God forgive me for my lust. Yes, thank you. Accept it all. Immerse yourself at all. Separate yourself from it. Be aware that that isn't you. Some people like to use, you know, the name uh, for God as their mantra. Uh, Maharaji Ji, who was a famous Indian guru, and Mahatma Gandhi both used Ram, you know, the kind of the as a mantra, the name for God in their culture. Different faith traditions can use different words to give their busy minds something to do so they can be aware of the moment, be present in this bigger oneness of the universe and not be consumed by their thoughts. I've used words like Elohim, Adonai, or, or even like Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Those are mantras. If you ever do Tizay in the Christian tradition, you know, that's full of mantras. Um, Buddhism has a really great one. It's just, it's the sound of, of this oneness, just Om, that people repeat over and over, Om. Om, Om. It just gives your mind something to do so you don't have to be consumed by your thoughts. I'm not really sure if it matters that much what sound the mantra is or which one it is. People have opinions about that. Whatever yours is is fine with me. But I think that, that based on where you come from and what your cultural construct of God is, like what you believe God is because of who you are and, 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 and the experiences you've had, um, Finding the one that works for you is the best one. My personal belief is that the whole point of our spirituality or meditation or prayers or quiet time for the soul 
or, or for the brain or however you might like to call it isn't about an object. It's not about objectifying, you know, as Pete calls it, the Burger King God, some God with a beard on a throne in the sky, uh, asking, you know, turning on a prayer, saying, hey, God, here's what I need, and then turning off the prayer and letting God going back to whatever that God was doing. It's more about being submitting to this greater power and, and being aware that, that uh, you know, maybe you can be part of it and be immersed in it and be consumed by it and, and not have it just out there like the great Santa Claus in the sky working for you for whatever you think you need right now. Um, I think that, you know, assuming that there was a big bang, uh, the explosion that created everything we physically experience, uh, you know, that maybe it's more than just a random and very rapid expansion that continues today. And then whether or not someone actually believes in God or a particular version of God probably isn't really the point. I mean, yes, some may be better versions than others. Um, I'm guessing that some of you are probably getting a little upset or frustrated right now and might be screaming in your heads or maybe even out loud that your version of God, maybe the one you were born into from the family and place where you were raised is the best. That's fine. I'm not arguing with you. I'm, I'm saying, great, embrace that God, preach that God, believe in that God, love that God. That is awesome. Or maybe you don't believe in God at all. Honestly, I, I'm okay with that too. Let's just assume you're right, whatever your version is. What I've been obsessed with is the mystery behind the object that people construct when they talk about their version of God or non-God. You know, I think for some people, science is their God. Fine. But what are we really talking about? What's behind that word? What's behind that idea? What's the power, the essence, the thing itself? Um, you know, maybe think about it this way. If, if you're Jewish or Christian or you use a holy book generally called the Bible that comes in a variety of forms, when that God first presented itself to Moses in the desert as a burning bush, Moses asked it what its name was. And, and this, I think, is really fascinating. The answer that God gave was, I am. And I think what that name was or what it, that entity meant was that it was the power behind all existence. It was existence itself. It was kind of unnameable. And so when Moses pressed it further, because we do this as people and wanted to objectify it more, um, you know, that entity basically conceded and offered another word, uh, Yahweh. It's poorly interpreted in English as Jehovah because the Hebrew word itself Y-H-W-H has no vowels. It's all consonants. It's a word that really eludes correct pronunciation or articulation. It, it, it eludes definition. In fact, when that God actually, you know, when Moses went to the top of a mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and, was, and this God, you know, from the mouth of God to the hand of Moses, according to the Hebrew, you know, uh, text, uh, articulated the Ten Commandments or these first laws, the first law that this, that this God gives Moses is not to objectify God. It says, make no graven images. Do not try to contain me. Do not try to remake me the way you want to make me. I exist beyond that. I am the great mystery. I am existence. You cannot define me. Do not attempt it. And it was punishable by death. 
I believe the reason that this God knows what people tend to do with our rational brains, we always want to have an object we can, we can contain and, and, and uh, put in a box that we can construct, that we can contain, control, and defend, and then leverage to control other people. That man-made version of our mystery we want to use to our own ends. That is what this God was trying to elude. I mean, if you assume, for example, that, that Jesus was God walking among us, I mean, just read the text. Did Jesus go around demanding or even asking to be worshipped? I mean, no. He actually refused it. Every time someone tried to worship him, he continually pointed that worship, that adoration, that, that human love and deep respect to a bigger mystery, to the power behind his form, to the Father, as he called it. I think Buddhism is interesting because it also, in its purer forms, doesn't seem to worship Siddhartha Gautama, um, you know, the, the original Buddha, and I apologize if I butchered his name, but the first man in that tradition to have supposedly found enlightenment. It's all about becoming enlightened yourself. It's about moving beyond the forms, beyond the practices, beyond the, 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 the structures into this bigger singularity, the power, the oneness of the universe that is behind everything that we experience and exist in. What I'm not trying to do is tell you what or how to believe, okay? Whatever your version of God or non-God is, is really fine for me. I think that's up to you and, and where you're headed and, and how you relate to that mystery. I happen to come from a Protestant Christian tradition, and I like that flavor. <laughs> but as C.S. Lewis and Billy Graham and many others from my tradition point out, there are a lot of flavors that point to the same truth behind it all. You know, St. Paul, one of our uh, authors of some of the, the great letters of the, the New Testament, talks about in Romans that you cannot escape the truth and the power of it all, that, that none of us uh, are beyond reproach because we can all see it in nature, that there is something be, beyond it, that there, there is a greater power. Um, however you like to define it. Um, what, what I'm trying to suggest, and I'm, I hope I'm articulating it in a way that makes some sense, is that simply when we name, objectify, and obsess about the specific things, um, that that can start to create feelings of dread. Or maybe when the hectic daily grind, whatever yours is, becomes so consuming that it creates despair of some sort or a feeling of being completely overwhelmed, that maybe you don't have to carry that burden. You can let it go. And that maybe the first step, and this is why I think Pete Holmes' new book, Comedy Sex God, is so good, is because it's really all about true liberation, about not having to white-knuckle all those things that everyone told you you have to do. Consider just saying no, letting it go, diving into it. Part of why I think finding the things to do that you're truly passionate about matters so much is because it's relatively easy to immerse yourself, to be consumed by the things you love. It's also important, to, I think, to develop awareness. I remember the first time that I was meditating and became aware of my emotions as something separate from who I am. I wasn't my anger. I wasn't my, my, you know, my mania for getting, uh, uh, reaching an end. But that I wasn't my ego, that I wasn't my desires, and I wasn't my actions that I could become disconnected from that 
and actually have better control of that part of myself, that I could see my fear, accept and thank my fear, and maybe let my fear have its own apartment in the complex that is my life. Uh, let it have its own place that wasn't dominating me anymore. I've also kind of always believed that when something inside you is stopping you, disrupting you, creating a barrier you can't break through, it's very important to listen to it, to fully immerse yourself in it and become aware of it and become aware of it apart from yourself so that you can dive into it. So I dove into my lostness that morning a couple days ago and intentionally got physically lost just wandering around Tokyo and repeating yes thank you to my fear, my despair, my concerns and the joys of discovery that I started to find on that little tour. One of the highlights of the areas of Tokyo where I like to stay is that there are a lot of little streets that bend and turn. There's small waterways, bridges, little shops. It sort of reminds me of Amsterdam in the way that there, there aren't really straight lines and there's a lot of teeny, strangely curated stores for things you'd never imagine a believable business plan could exist for. It's actually a game I play. I sometimes, um, when I'm walking or driving around a city, I find a weird shop that doesn't make any sense to me. And then I pretend to pitch the idea of that concept to an investor. One of my favorites has been the rise of cat cafes. I mean, never never in my life would I believe that having cats in a cafe or for, for patrons to hold and pet as they're served food would make sense. I'm somewhat allergic to cats to start with, and the last thing I've wanted, even when we had a cat, was to have it near me when I'm eating. It's like this, it's a bit of a phobia for me, but it's, it's an idea that has popularity and profits, and someone realized that in a world where we are more or less alone, and, or more and more alone, and the soothing aloofness of a purring cat in someone's lap while sipping tea or coffee and eating a scone could attract customers might work. I'm happy to be wrong rationally and embrace the mystery of that business success. Yes, thank you. I ended up hunting through vintage clothing stores and just pursuing my curiosities that day, that, that morning, that afternoon. And I got so lost in my lostness that as I was buying some tailored eyewear, of all things in Japan, I realized I was going to be late for a futsal tournament that Excess had sponsored and I needed to be at both um, to attend and, and be a, you know, kind of official ambassador, but also to play in a little bit later that day. So as I rushed back to my hotel, changed, got into my uh, a minivan with some friends that I was going with, um, the president of Amway Japan and his wife, Peter and Fulvia Stridum and Melody Knockley, who's the head of sales there, I realized that I wasn't anxious anymore. I had lost my lostness. The walking meditation had allowed me to separate myself from my lostness, to find myself in a greater awareness, and to re-engage my life in a more healthy place. Rob Bell happened to text me the next day, you know, and I really don't believe things happen. I think, I think there's, if you put things out into the universe, the universe responds. So he happened to text me the next day. He's living in Los Angeles now and had been visiting some of our mutual friends in Laguna Beach. He surfed a spot we love and said the air was thick with my spirit. Rob's a wonderful friend to me, and I think we have a certain connection. His text was timely, and I really don't believe it was accidental. I let him know how much his podcast and Pete's podcast, Rob and Pete are very close friends, and Pete's book had meant to me lately, how helpful they were. I explained that part of my lostness right now is in not having the baby or the brand of excess that my partners and I you know, had built with our friends around the world anymore. 
I'm sort of a, you know, emeritus to it now. I'm an adjunct or an ambassador, but it doesn't really define me anymore. You know, the children that Sarah and I also, you know, created together and, and cared for and raised have grown and left to start their own lives. And, and my life, as it was defined for so many years, has lost those constructions, those definitions. And so as a result, I've, I've felt, felt a bit lost as I work to build new meaning in different ways in my own life. Rob's response to me was classic. He said, oh man, I know exactly that lost thing. When, when we came to Lagoon in 2011, he means him and his family, and I had no title, it was so surreal and liberating and painful and life-changing. And learning to surf at the same time, a kook with no title, brutal and good. Rob Bell, the guy who helped build one of the largest and fastest growing churches in America, Mars Hill Church, Mars Hill Bible Church, more than 10,000 people showing up on Sunday, the world famous author who had been on the cover of Time Magazine, the same guy who walked away from it all because he is in so touch with his purpose that he wasn't afraid to lose everything and start over for a much larger purpose that he felt called to. To have that friend who is so effective and 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 so so brave um and has been so impressive to me also freely admit a similar struggle that makes the struggle so much more bearable and so i'd like to just let anyone who's listening to this know that if you're listening to this and you're suffering depression anxiety fear doubt the great undertoad or something similar please know that we all do at some level you're not alone if it's serious you may need help. You know, if you're thinking about ending it all, if you're suicidal, please don't be afraid to get professional help. If it's more of a malaise or fear, like I described, consider meditation. Choose a mantra. Get lost in your lostness. Be consumed by it so that you can be aware of your greater self and be present. Be here in the immediate now and be part of this great singularity this greater mystery that we all exist in, whether we like it or not. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It's not a spectator sport. I hope you find value in these, and I hope you don't agree with everything I say. Heck, I don't always agree with myself. I'm trying on new ideas all the time. My goal is that something I share or an interviewee offers is helpful in your own journey, on your own path, to your own truth, and that ultimately you break through barriers holding you back to become what I like to call kick aspirational, that you progress as a human. Whatever you do this week, please, please, please be kick aspirational.